Hello to everyone tuning in. Most of you are familiar with Celtics life, but if not, here's a quick rundown. We're a Boston Celtics fan site that covers everything Celtics, from the latest trade rumor to that other trade rumor, the Nets pick, and how exactly Danny Ainge got his free Chipotle for life card. Honestly, no one actually knows. But the pod covers all the same topics our site does, but a little more freely and from a weekly point of view. The best part of it all is that we're talking about it from a fan's perspective. We'll cover last week's games and major stories, as well as a look into the week ahead. We'll change things up as the show evolves, so let us know what you want to hear if something comes to mind. I'm Topher Lane, here with Justin Quinn. Justin, how's it going? Not too bad. It's been a long week for you, right? <laughs> it's been a long week for all of us. Yeah, but fortunately, it's been a really good week, you know? I mean, it's, we swept through the competition, Detroit, Toronto, the Lakers, the Clippers. What what kind of his thoughts of uh, this week's games? Well, honestly, I, I don't believe it. I really don't believe it. Are we typically dropping a game to, as Lewis suggested last week, the Lakers, or is there someone we shouldn't be? Yeah, we didn't. I was really pretty happy. I mean, the Lakers, it got close near the end. And they, they had uh, Julius Randle out. And, like, you know, I mean, I was expecting that to be a blowout. And it just, you know, it wasn't. But, I mean, somehow we came out on top. But, you know, we'll start kind of in the beginning of the week. Monday, <laughs> Detroit. Uh, right now I'm living in Michigan. So, you know, I mean, I have got a lot, I got a lot of fans who are Detroit fans. So it was, it was kind of fun being here, talking to guys about that game. But what were your thoughts on the game? Well, first of all, I completely understand what you're talking about. Um, as a University of Connecticut fan who went to the University of Florida last mm-hmm. championship, I was a very unpopular person on campus. <laughs> um, but having said that, um, the Detroit game, um, I really wasn't too surprised that we came away with a win. Um, even though Drummond did have a monster game with 28 points and 22 rebounds, yeah, well, he's like one of the most elite rebounders in the league. and so He's fallen yeah. off a bit this year, too. And, I mean, this is coming from a University of Connecticut fan, as I just said. Um, it seems like he's not really engaged this year, uh, except for that night. You know, that was the first time I saw him. I, granted, I don't watch Detroit that often, probably even less than you do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I do follow my UConn guys as, as they progress um, – through the NBA, and you know he's he's been kind of a disappointment this year. Um, not, not his numbers haven't haven't you know really taken that big of a step back, but he he just doesn't really seem to be interested, and it doesn't seem like Stan Van Gundy can find that that second person to to stand up next to him. Reggie is not cutting it, and you know the the rest of the guys they they just haven't seemed to to round into the shape that they were hoped to. Yeah, well, I think you and I talked about it in the first podcast, I want to say. We talked about how the Pistons should probably be a better team. Oh, they should be. You know, I mean, they they just can't seem to find, they can't seem to put the puzzle together of all their pieces. Because they've got a pretty good, they're starting five, at least, um, coming into this week. I mean, they've got some some good players on there, you know? And uh, for some reason, they just can't put it together. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens come, you know, the really, the heat of trade season because i you know they've been linked to like ricky rubio like a bunch of other players across the league and they've got players that they could sell so i mean it'll be interesting to see what happens there but yeah this game uh you know the celtics came out isaiah had one of his typical fourth quarter appearances uh the the fourth quarter explosion really i mean we won by four four points i think in that game and i mean he had 24 points in just the fourth quarter so yeah it was a phenomenal game by isaiah i mean he was yeah, he was a typical self throughout the game. Uh, this is probably the worst that he shot from three all week, where he went four for 11. Uh, he, didn't but, do, he didn't do too good uh, against the Clippers either. It was like, what, three of 11 or something like that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But it's just a game at home that, you know, the Celtics, 
and they took on the Pistons. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you can see it, it's clear that the Celtics have rebounding issues when Drummond can come down with 22. But, you know, I mean, good game overall for the Celtics. Uh, what do you like from, you know, people besides Isaiah? Um, Honestly, the thing that really stuck out was the coverage of Isaiah or the lack there of it. Um, they, it really seemed like he was able to do whatever he wanted to. And I mean, I'm as surprised as Stan Van Gundy supposedly was, um, after, after the game, he said that he should have doubled Isaiah. And to be completely frank, um, how he missed that, I mean, granted, maybe he doesn't follow the Celtics like we do, but still, I, I kind of thought it was an open secret around the league that if you want to try to make for a good game with the Celtics, smother Isaiah and it just didn't happen not that I'm complaining the coaching staff just didn't watch tape that week or like they just didn't prepare for the game like I don't know what I don't know how you missed that assignment because you know I mean he's been just he's been lights 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 out since the middle of December and uh, his numbers have been phenomenal since the middle of December I don't see how you kind of miss that until the post-game conference and you say well yeah no we probably should have doubled him up so kind of dropped the ball by by SVG there oh. um can't expect him to do everything, and uh, no complaints from me. Yeah, I mean, it was a good win. First win of the week. Let's, uh, was it a back-to-back? We, we, got a, we had a day off, or the Celtics had a day off between Pistons and the Raptors, right? Yep. And then they, they go to, they stay in Boston, Raptors come to the Garden. This is, like, the, the true test, and there's so much riding on this game. This is the game that really decides if Brad Stevens goes to the All-Star game. What were your thoughts on the on the Toronto game? Um, I thought we were going to lose, to be perfectly honest. I mean, honestly, last week I said we were going to win, but that was really just kind of, you know, typical green, green colored glasses. Um, my thoughts that we were going to lose, uh, the game that we were going to lose this week, um, was actually the Clippers game. And to be completely honest, I'm very surprised that we won this game, even though DeRozan was out. Um, I guess you could make the argument that, Bradley being out with an Achilles was was also an issue, but the the late scratch for for uh, Kelly really made me think that it was going to be a loss. I didn't see how we were going to lo- to win that depleted. Um, thankfully, though, um, Olenek's shoulder is not the one that had an operation. Yeah, and Tyler Zeller actually played a pretty good game in Olenek's place. You know, I mean, he came in and he was pretty good defensively, logged sixteen pretty productive minutes. Not necessarily in terms of like stats but you know he came i thought he, he played a pretty good game while linick was sidelined and then you know the other big men stepped up too but yeah it's not bad for his trade value either not though i really don't think that this was a situation where they were showcasing him um i think they didn't really have too much of a choice in terms of depth well that's that's why i i mean i'm a huge jordan mickey fan so i i would put jordan mickey ahead <laughs> of zeller you you've heard me talk about how much i love jordan mickey and he's just, i like him too but i don't think he's ready defensively Ah, he's he's the best defensively. He's like he's gonna be the. I I remember last year for uh, season's predictions, I said that Jordan blocking Mickey, shots is not the only thing there is on defense. He's gonna sneak in for defensive <laughs> player of the year. You'll see. Well, maybe he's got some time left. <laughs> um, well, it was I was really pleased with that game and Isaiah again. I mean, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I guess we're gonna be talking about Isaiah's fourth quarters for the rest of the season. I think, but you know, I mean, this was. 19 points in the fourth i want to say he tallied 44 over the course of the night yep it was 19 it's just unbelievable and you know i mean it's not even that like i mean there was that game 
Yeah, he went up against the Heat, right? And he had 52. The next game, he had like no, or he had like 15 assists, but he had no assists against the Heat. This time, he had kind of 44 points, seven assists, four. He was all over the stack column. Yep. The, stat, the stat sheet. So it's just God. It's it's. There's no way to predict what he's going to do night in and night out. Lowry had a big night too. He went he went for 32, and Sully actually. I think that was his. You know, I mean, I'm not following Sully too closely, but I do keep an eye when I see box scores. Now that he's playing, um, I think his previous season high uh, of all, what, three games that he had played before um, was seven, and he had 13 tonight. Um, he, he definitely came with something to prove. We'll, we'll see if that sticks. Yeah, well, this is his first trip back to the Garden, right? So, yep. you know, he was taking his typical, like, mid-range elbow shots, and he was hitting, yeah, like, he all made a of couple them. of threes. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's Sullinger, I feel like you're right. I feel like he maybe wanted to prove something after the Celtics and Ainge let him walk in the summer. Well, he so. almost earned what they're paying him, so good job. <laughs> That's debatable, I think. But, I mean, I, I liked Sollinger when he was with the I Celtics. I said almost. But... I didn't say he did. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, it was also, I mean, the big part of the game for me was that this is what basically set Brad Stevens to go to the All-Star game. It wasn't It wasn't a luck. They still had to win one, one of the next two games, but, I mean, yeah, they did. Toronto followed it up by losing to Orlando. The, the following game and that's that's what clinched it for Stevens but you know this win and you know we were we were talking about it even just among Celtics life writers that this was like the arguably one of the biggest games of the season for the Celtics to win um, in terms of momentum in terms of validation absolutely so it's it's a huge game and you know you have you know all of it seemed like everybody really came together and everyone kind of stepped up I mean we talked about Tyler Zeller stepping up for for Kelly Olynyk, the the front court seemingly doing pretty all right, and uh, sure DeRozan was out, but what do you do? You think the Celtics win that game with DeRozan in the lineup? No, <laughs> I don't. Not without Bradley. I mean, he's he's hard enough to defend. Um, we don't really have the the personnel to to handle them as it is. I'm really surprised that we came away with a win. Um, and down Olenek also, yeah, I don't, I don't see how he would have possibly been able to. Well, the last time he played Toronto, right, it was uh, Bradley's, like, second game sidelined with the Achilles. And, you know, the Celtics led for most of the game. There was an interesting stat that whoever's leading in the third quarter, that both teams in, in the two games that they had played previously, and this game included, the team that's leading in the third quarter hasn't come to win it. Every time. It's, it's flip-flop where the the team that's losing in the third comes to win it in the fourth. And, uh, you know, the Celtics were up double digits in Toronto back in January, and then DeRozan came out and put up some incredible fourth quarter. This time, Isaiah came through in the, in the garden and, and won it for the Celtics, in spite of the fact that they were trailing by double digits in the third. Yeah, these teams seem, in a lot of ways, to mirror each other in terms of riding on emotion a lot. And when they have it, they can seem almost unstoppable. And when they don't, then it's just like head scratchers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like the point. I mean, Bradley being out is really it, – it's really – I mean, it's tough to say that it's hurting the Celtics because they've been on such a run. They've won seven straight now. And, well, uh, here's, here's the thing that I've really – like, I, I haven't seen anyone write it yet, but I'm going to say it. Um, I made a suggestion in a recent article of a potential trade, including Avery Bradley. Um, and some of the fans were not very pleased with me. No. 
Um, this is about Jimmy Butler. Um, not to dredge that up again, because I really don't think it's happening. Um, but I made the suggestion that if we could trade um, Avery Bradley plus the 2018 Nets pick and salary filler like Amir and maybe Jarebko um, to get to the threshold of a trade for Jimmy Butler, that that wouldn't really be sacrificing the future or the the long term future like the, I like both windows like the near term and then the the youth movement like basically the two the two twin rosters were kind of building on, in the new Brad Stevens era um and I, you know I understand why because Avery Bradley is a very 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 good player he's made solid improvements on his game every year um I get why people were pissed off because I'm one of the biggest Avery Bradley apologists <laughs> but the salary cap is a thing that we have to deal with um. Yes, we can pay the tax, but if this, like, there's some very optimistic Celtics fans out there, and I love you guys, uh, but this is most, you know, with the addition of Al Horford, this is a roster that more or less twice got kicked out of the first round. Mm-hmm. Al Horford's great, but he's not that great, particularly not this year. Um, I'm still not on the bandwagon that we're paying him, but if we could move Avery Bradley and get someone back who's the age and, and level of player that Jimmy Butler is, you know, I start to have to ask the question exactly which player can you say who is valuable enough to be like a, a major chip in a piece um, who you can trade away and not seriously injure this team? Well, what's uh, what's Bradley's contract? I'm looking up his contract right now. To I see think it. it's about $8 million. And he's got one more – or is this his last season? Second to last season. Okay, so – there's time before the Celtics have to worry about him walking or we just not being able to play. over the summer. Absolutely. But the question is, I mean, and I'm sure that I'm sure that Danny has a good idea about his disposition, but I mean, we've got Mr. Brink's truck and I don't think anyone's going to argue whether or not we should be backing up said Brink's truck. Um, then we have to think about Jay um, in a longer term situation, just keeping him happy, not so much how much he's going to be paid. Um, which I think is manageable as long as he's on the team. But then the big question mark really of players in the starting roster who we are most likely going to keep um, barring a trade would be Avery Bradley. And eventually we're going to have to make the decision on whether or not we want to pay him or whether or not we want to pay one of those top tier free agents if we can find one. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about. We're way off track here, but... Um... Yeah, like, let's, let's go back to <laughs> games. Okay, so last week's games. So, 2-0 and right now. Uh, yeah. Go to... Or stay in Boston for the Lakers. Or were we in... Sorry, guys. Pressing concerns. <laughs> so, we go to... Uh, uh, we see the Lakers come to Boston, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is this is a game that really... You know, everything... I thought we were going to waste them. We should win, right? Yeah, well, Randall was out. I mean, Bradley was out, but Randall was out too. And Rand- Randall has been more or less the engine that makes that team go when it goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got I, – I I really like the – well, I'd say that not literally. I mean, I hate the Lakers, but I like, <laughs> I like what the Lakers have going on in terms of like as a basketball fan. You know, they've got a lot of young pieces. a lot. Of, they've got a lot of talent that should come together in the next – five years you know and like they start to add pieces stuff like that um you know because i got d'angelo russell who's fun julius randall when he's healthy is is always fun to watch nick young is defending and and he's hitting shots too 
Yeah, you he was I mean? like, he hit like, how many shots did he hit? Especially in the first, he started off like three for three from outside, and he was celebrating each time he had like the finger guns, you know, the, yep. the threes over the eyes, like the goggles, all that stuff. And that pissed off Marcus Smart. <laughs> like, it was great. And then he came out and just started sweat, like just literally just thefting Nick Young off the screen. He was just, it was fantastic to watch. Yeah, that that was actually probably my favorite game to watch of the week, just because it was so entertaining to watch the Lakers come so hard for a game that basically means nothing to them. Yeah, well, it was in, I mean, terms, in terms of development, not in terms of tradition. It means everything in terms of tradition. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see the rivalry at this state. You know, I mean, the Celtics are the only one of like the major market teams that is doing well when they probably shouldn't be. Like well, people, when, when this rebuild Billy King started, nobody thought that by 2017 the Celtics would be second place in the East. Not at all. And so, like you know, you got the the Lakers who are just awful. Like they just have nothing going on. And uh, Lou Williams is their best player, more or less. Yeah, that's my favorite part about the. Uh, it was on ESPN. The commentators were like, "Man, Lou Williams is really their only good scorer if Nick Young isn't hitting." I'm like, that's a really sad sentence to hear from a commentator. It's like, Lou Williams is your best scorer. Yeah. It's pretty rough. And they lost their they lost their uh, all-time win crown that they've had for over a decade now. I think since yeah. like 2000, 2001, something like that was the last time we had it. Yep, Celtics tied for the uh, all-time wins and then pull ahead with this win. So there was like a lot, at least historically, riding on this game. But like just like regular season, it's kind of a throwaway for Celtics fans. I mean... I wouldn't say that. It's always entertaining to watch them lose. True. True, for sure. So okay. speaking of other big Los Angeles games. This was this was Paul Pierce's game. That's all that I cared about going into this game. Absolutely. And I, I wrote, I was really happy about this article that I wrote, just like all this stuff with Paul Pierce. You know, Jalen Brown was looking forward to it because he'd been, you know, watching Paul Pierce. But he was one years old when Paul Pierce entered the league. That's crazy. Isn't that insane? Like had just been born when Paul Pierce made his first start in February of, was it 98? I feel old. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? Like, I was talking to my friend about it. Like, the fact that I'm seeing players in the league who are younger than me and, like, doing, like, significantly better is really starting to freak me out. Well, if it makes you feel any better, um, when I started following the Celtics, Larry Bird had a shoe, so. Hmm. All right, well, I'm not that old then. Yeah, when I hear when I hear about things like Jalen Brown being born the year that he entered the league, that that I feel very very old. Yeah. Well, so Paul Pierce, what were your thoughts on Paul Pierce's trip to the guard? Last trip to the garden. That was so weird that that worked out like that, first and last. Yeah, because it was exactly it was the seventh, eighteenth anniversary. Yep. Of his first game ever, as in a Celtics uniform. It was because of the uh, the lockout that shortened the season. And so he got his first start in February, February 5th. So it was pretty crazy. And then, you know, he steps up in the last minute and hits that three. Pulls up. Because he had never gone scoreless in the TD Garden before. His entire career. Yeah, it was a pretty poetic ending. I thought it was perfect. And I, I wish Mark Allison could be here because he, he loved that. He thought it was fantastic right he was sitting there and i assume mark mark got pretty excited for for all the boston sports action that happened uh well 
by the time you're listening to this, it won't be yesterday anymore, but yesterday. Um, feel better, Mark. He kind of hurt his ankle. I'm amazed that we haven't touched on the Super Bowl yet. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that was something that we should have probably led the show with, you know, jump on the Super Bowl. Yeah, Patriots just like casually won the Super Talk Bowl. Talk about king in the fourth, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> like Boston and New England has two kings in the fourth. I love who. Okay, so is Brady your king in the fourth, or is Julian Edelman with that obscene catch? Uh, you know, I, I think you have to give it to Brady. Um, with Deflategate and everything else that's been going on this year. I think it was his uh, – Edelman caught it. If you wanted to say that he's your king in the fourth, that's fine. I think the whole team can claim king in the fourth after a yeah. comeback like that. Yeah, the defense. I mean, just <laughs> the fact that the fourth quarter, that the Patriots line just was able to just stifle you know, everybody. I mean, the, there was that insane catch by Julio Jones on the sideline, but I feel like that was the only big gain that Atlanta had in the fourth quarter even really the second half they, they had that one touchdown right in the second half well to be completely honest my favorite part of the entire super bowl was watching the social media commentary <laughs> what were your highlights from social media commentary um so many i've never seen so many mention of paul brady's tears disappear in the space of five minutes yeah it was, I, I didn't, I was just, I was ignoring, I was so locked into the game, I wasn't even looking at Twitter or anything, so I was just completely zoned out. See, my, my following of the game was completely on social media, because I was in the middle of nowhere, Mexico, and it's pretty hard to find a place to watch the game, so. You weren't able to watch the Super Bowl? I was not able to watch the Super Bowl. Oh no, that's so sad. Yeah, I was in this little tiny town called Amatlan, which is in a it's in the state of Morelos, um, about an hour and a half south of Mexico City if you don't hit any traffic, which is a really great place to go if you want to spend a weekend relaxing like I did. Um, I did not, in fact, think about the fact that there was not going to be much in the way of internet. Mm. Yeah, I can't believe that you would go somewhere that might not have internet on Super Bowl weekend. I didn't think about it until it was too late. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> so well so all right that that will that will let this super bowl conversation segue into the the major storylines because that's that's fair right that it's a major storyline for yeah i mean it's a major storyline um right. jimmy butler who you're we going to talk about as a major storyline though i kind of already beat the crap out of all of that in in the uh, avery bradley talk um so about those rival gms rumors um i would like to say Trust the source. The source is good. Um, but think about what, what this means when they say rival GMs believe the trade talks will start up again. If Danny Ainge was not making phone calls to Chicago about Jimmy Butler, then he probably shouldn't be a GM given the state of things over there at the moment. Um, so the, the, the idea that rival GMs are saying that, that Danny is going to be making some calls to Chicago and Possibly, maybe in another direction. I don't think that that's that's too outrageous of um, an observation. Um, it's probably I don't know whether it's his agent who's probably you know pushing for these for these leaks or the organization or really just conversation with rival GMs. I don't, I'm you know I, I really have no knowledge of exactly 
how um, I think it was Casey Jones from the Chicago Tribune who did that piece, how he's getting that information. Um, but it's a, it's a reasonable observation to make. Um, there's probably some smoke to that fire, but in the words of just about every Boston fan out there at this point, um, who is really, really tired, you know, I'm just as tired as you guys are. And I'm sure I speak for a lot of the other writers. We would love to write about a real trade happening more so <laughs> on any team, really just eliminating guys from the pool of people coming to the Celtics. Um, then just c continuing to recycle the same rumor with 16 different angles. Um, well, there was that, uh, that quiet trade last week, right? Where it was like one of the Plumleys from, uh, Milwaukee to Charlotte for like Roy Hibbert and Spencer Hawes, I want to say. Yeah, that was a good trade, I think. I think that's going to be good for both teams. Yeah, but it was so quiet. Like, I feel like nobody heard. I, I couldn't find it on, like, NBA.com. Because my friend, who's a huge Bucks Really? Fan, that wasn't on NBA.com? That's strange. It, at least not when it when it first happened. And so my friend, like, texted me, like, Plumley cry face or cry emoji. <laughs> and I was like, what happened? And I, like, tried to find what I could while I was at work, and I just couldn't find anything. So I just assumed that, like, maybe he hurt something or, like, got, like... Yeah, I think I got that from, um, well, I won't, I won't say the news outlet. It's, this is a Celtics Life broadcast. But, um, uh, yeah, it came, it came to me over a pretty popular um, online NBA portal um, that, I, that I check fairly often. But you are right. I didn't see too much in the, like, usually if there's a trade anytime before the trade deadline, it's all over the place. I mean, I, I saw stuff. Today of just whispers of Okafor possibly moving anywhere, anywhere. Two teams were in the mix today. Uh, I won't get into it because it's not really our focus. Um, but yeah, that was quiet, you know. But you know, a whiff of uh, Demarcus Cousins and uh, that's what. You, that's what. Did you catch that. that one? It was uh, to Phoenix, right? Yeah, um, pretty well reputable um, Arizona sports writer John Gambadoro um, on his radio show um, really surprised me talking about a deal revolving around T.J. Warren, Alex Len, um, this year's Phoenix uh, first round pick and possibly more, though the rumblings that I heard um, that it would not involve um, – why am I blanking on his name? Bledsoe. Huh. Well, I that that's just, I mean, see, I just can't imagine that that's especially because the the Kings front office has been so reluctant to even discuss dealing Demarcus Cousins. I feel like there's no way that a, a trade that the headliner is just the first round pick. Yeah, I feel like, I feel I mean, like there's no lots of salary yeah. match basically. Yeah, like it, it just you'd need a star to to make that trade even possible. So I, I didn't take a ton of credence to that because no, I mean, but the source the source is good. You know, I mean, like he's he's not one of the the, the clickbaity kind of journalists out there. He's he's been around Arizona for like twenty some odd years now. Um, I just don't like. Maybe this is one of those situations. We all know how much of a mess their front office is, and my thoughts are that. Maybe somebody is leaking um, some pretty ridiculous trade rumors out there. Just maybe there have been some trade discussions and maybe there have been some really like high and low ball offers thrown back and forth because that, ha that's, that stuff happens all the time. Um, and maybe this is just one of the minority owners 
trying to push because there are some minority owners who want cousins gone mm -hmm. i mean i i just can't imagine I, obviously i mean demarcus cousins is the best player on that roster and he'll main he'll remain the best player on that roster for forever you know um but I, I just can't imagine that they have been pleased with how it's it's worked out you know for how much he's been in the year for been in the league for six years now i want to say i think so yeah and it's just like i mean they they've been a lottery team for almost his entire career yeah at some point you you can really start to question the notion of whether or not a franchise player is a franchise player if they arguably have not gotten any better than had they not drafted him yeah and i mean they, they burnt through so many coaches but i would just say you know i mean this is not a trade. TJ Warren, Alex Land, and a Phoenix first is not the trade that you can get for Demarcus Cousins. You can get any team to overpay for him. Yeah, and, and frankly speaking, like moving Bledsoe with I, like I really like Bledsoe. I like what he's been doing this year, but with his knee situation being what it is, with all like three operations in four years. Yeah. Well, and that's that's why I mean I go back to that that uh, trade that you discussed of Jimmy Butler and like Avery Bradley being the, the core swap of that. Yep. And like, I mean, just in terms of injury risk, I would be happy with that trade. I mean, I think it, they I both have, have a slight like, injury risk. They both I have agree. an injury history. I agree with our, our readers and the people who, who whenever you mention Avery Bradley in trade talks, they flip out. I agree with them in a lot of ways that Avery Bradley's a, a fantastic player. He's one of the best on ball defenders that we've got and that we've had for a long time. And you know, he's improved year in and year out. He's gotten better every year that he's been with the Celtics. But way too often, I mean, he's had a sore Achilles for, I want to say, about a month now. Well, and speaking is... of the Kings, I mean, I do feel that they're, they're doing the right thing. You know, we're not getting the same kind of whispers that we heard when, when Horford got knocked in the head, which is good. I'm glad people are being supportive and not, you know, jumping on this guy for not coming back with just a sore leg because we saw what happened to Rudy Gay, who was trying to improve his value in anticipation of opting out. And I'm, I'm almost certain that, that coming as hard as he did is what ended up doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, now he's going to be lucky if he even makes an average starter money if if he opts out, which he really shouldn't because I don't think he'll make what he's going to make. Yeah, I mean, I like Rudy Gay, and I think it, there were links between the Celtics and uh, the Kings over the summer for Rudy Gay, and um, I would I think I would have really liked that trade. You know, as, as a four, as it, absolutely. As a three, absolutely not. He's too slow. I mean, I mean, his defense has improved. Um, but he's about as good as he's ever been for how hard he tries on defense now. And I think a big part of why he's trying on defense is because of the contract um, situation he was looking at, trying to opt out and get get a, a larger paycheck. Um, he's quietly become a much more efficient player than he used to be. Um, he He's not as much of a chucker as he was early in his career, even though that reputation still follows him around. Um, I'm kind of sad, though, because I was into that idea, too. I was following that as well. I'm I'm trying to conceptualize what that starting lineup would look like. Whether you have like Horford at the five, Gay at the four, and then like Crowder Brown at the three, and then like you know the typical backcourt, whether it's Marcus Smart, Avery Brad. I mean, I don't know what pieces you have to trade to get Rudy Gay, but like I'm trying to conceptualize what that lineup would look like, and I can't tell if it's really sexy or if that's like. Um, it would. You couldn't play it for very long. I mean, not that you can. I mean. 
nobody is giving Isaiah the same kind of starter minutes for the same reason that they're giving gay starter minutes. And it's just because you can only hide them on defense for so long. And with both of them on the court, I think it would be even, I think it would be kind of more like Amir minutes for, for Rudy at this point in his career, just not because he isn't trying on defense, you know, previously he didn't try on defense and was just concerned with offense. And, you know, he was young enough for it and good enough as an offensive player that didn't really matter. Um, but he's, he's kind of going through kind of a parallel thing that, that, uh, Carmelo was going through. Um, though I would say he's a slightly better player than, or was a slightly better player than Carmelo. Well, so now, I mean, there's, I mean, this isn't Celtics, but I mean, I just saw that LeBron is maybe the one who's pressuring the Cavs front office to trade for. Oh, please let them do that. Please. And he said. That'll be great for the Knicks. They'll get a player that that will actually make their organization something less of a tire fire and, well, let's just say we'll be the number one seed by the end of the season if they do. Well, what I read is that LeBron said that he's fine with Kevin Love being traded. I, I know. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. Swap. Which, I mean, I, 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 when I think of Kevin Love on the Cavs, mm-hmm. I always flash back to that final play of the Game 7 championship game where he was defending Steph Curry on the switch and somehow managed to stick with him as Curry was just dancing around the three-point line. And Love was sticking with it, and he heaved up a three, missed it, and that basically sealed the game. And I yep. think about that single play of Kevin it's Love and like all the stuff that people say about Kevin Love, and that one play is what I always go back to. Yep. And it completely changed the narrative. His career would have been a big question mark still had he not made that play. And it's just I, – I really – I'm a huge Kevin Love fan, but, I mean, I, I don't see why – LeBron would rather have Anthony, with the exception of the fact that they're good friends. That's the only reason I think. Well, that. That's the reason I'm assuming, and maybe because he doesn't have a unbiased view of his talents. Um, I could see a trade, not you know, to jump all over what's going on in Cleveland, but I mean, if they really didn't want to trash their team, I could see moving uh, J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert. Just because Shumpert's been pretty awful, and there just hasn't been any J.R. Smith. And granted, theoretically, it's coming back in March, but that that gives him less than a month of a tune-up, mm-hmm. really, to get into full game form um, before the playoffs. And at this point, I think that the difference between having those two players available and being able to play Carmelo Anthony, who lives for the playoff-type moments, um, and would probably recognize this as his last best chance to actually get a ring, I actually think that that would actually not be a horrible trade for them. You're saying Shumpert and Smith. Shumpert and Smith send JR back to the Knicks? Yep. Shumpert, too. They're both on the Knicks. Yeah, wouldn't that be weird? (laughs) I can't imagine uh, Phil Jackson buying that, though. Well, I mean, the contracts are shorter, and each is relatively more movable than Carmelo is at this point, particularly with that extra year on on his salary. At this point, just get him out of New York. I mean, I kind of think that's been his plan the whole time. <laughs> it's just now transparent. Well, let's uh, go back to kind of the Celtics uh, and and move towards yeah, the draft. Maybe for the Celtics podcast, that might be a good idea. <laughs> move towards the draft. Uh, we got kind of a glimpse at the at the two guys that are kind of the you know you see mock drafts and you see. Lonzo Ball and Marquise Fultz as the number one pick to the Celtics. Uh, They finally went head-to-head the other night. And it gave scouts kind of this insane 
I mean, it was so much fun to kind of watch this go down. What were your thoughts on, on that matchup? Did you see him play? I did not. I did catch some of the highlights. Um, it really didn't do much to change my opinion either way. Um, I don't know what it is about Ball, but like he's he has a worse shot. It's just it's horrible to watch, but it goes in, um, which bothers me almost as much, though not as much, particularly considering that it's stayed to be stayed fairly consistent in terms of makes. Um, Fultz. He doesn't have an ugly shot, but his shot selection, I mean, granted, he's being doubled and triple covered because his, the rest of his team is just garbage. Yep. Um, no offense to Washington fans, including Isaiah Thomas. Um, if you're listening, don't kill me. Um, <laughs> it's okay. My UConn team is even worse, so don't feel too bad. Um, but Fultz, Fultz has been making those shots consistently and it's not that the shots look ugly. It's just that he never passes when he probably should. And, you know, I'm starting to realize, particularly watching the record. Um, I haven't watched the whole on Washington game, but I think they're like nine and 13 or something like that. Now they're probably headed for the NIT if they're lucky. Um, a very Ben Simmons esque kind of situation. And really, I think that either one of those guys could work in a backcourt with Isaiah. Um, but I do think that if we take one of them, then Bradley and or Smart is moving on. Yeah, and that, I mean, we just keep going back to these trades. But I, I and what I was trying to say earlier is, you know, I mean, with Bradley's injury risk, I'd be fine, especially with this draft coming up. And it, it seems clear that if we if we fall top two, that we're going to take one of those two guards. I do think there is a very, very small chance. I don't think a lot of people keep talking about Josh Jackson. I got, I got a little bit of uh, pushback on a um, – I, I outlined all the potential players I thought were good fits for the Celtics based on what they can do. Um, it's to a certain extent also positional need, though really particularly early in the draft, that's not something that is important particularly for Danny. Um and some people really took a issue with me not listing Josh Jackson, um, which I did not for two main reasons. The lesser of which is, is, was pretty commonly discussed, um, in the comments and also just in, in general that I've been reading in other places that he kind of duplicates the skill sets of, um, Crowder and Brown, um, fairly well very versatile player i mean you can never really have too many of those players i get that mm -hmm. argument also that's you know a good counter argument to neutralize that in my opinion but he's also been involved in an active criminal investigation having to do with vandalizing another student's car um it's kind of a bad look it's not you know as bad as like beating up somebody or or worse um so i don't think it's an automatic disqualifier but i think that it probably would push him down in favor of another student that has been surging student athlete, whatever you want to call them. I guess I should just call them <laughs> athletes because they should be being paid getting off that soapbox. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, the player that I'm, I'm thinking of is Laurie Marconin. Marconin? Marconin. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it yet. Um, he's a Finnish, Finnish guy. Um, and I just want to rant about him a little bit so people can hear about him in case they missed the story I wrote. Um, I didn't talk about him too, too much, but I, I see him as a dark horse, number one, number two, number three selection, somewhere in that range, and maybe the best selection after the top three. 
Um, just because he's a true seven footer with, I mean, he's, he's not actually, you know, fast and mobile enough to guard a backcourt player unless they're terrible. Um, but he can guard, you know, in, in certain situations, um, in certain coverages, uh, backcourt players in three through five perfectly. He can, he can cut through the lane just like Kelly Olynyk and slash pretty well. And the thing that about him that really blows my mind is he's got the best stroke I've seen since Ray Allen. He's currently hitting above 50% from three point with over 90 attempts last I checked, wow. which is just madness for someone his size. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of season left, but keep your guys, keep your eyes open for this guy. Um, he's definitely somebody to watch. Yeah. And Stevens and the Celtics love, you know, the big man who can stretch the floor. And he can play center. He's big and strong enough. His legs are kind of sticky from, you know, the, the, the problem that most guys tend to have early in life working out just the top. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, I'm looking at big boards now and, and he's, um, you know, he's the biggest guy in the top 10. Seven foot two thirty, at least right now, according to CBS's big board. Yeah, I see him from ten to five typically, and I think I saw him at four in one place, which I think is fair for this part of the season because fifty percent from three is just ridiculous, and we're all expecting that number to come down. And he had a bad game. I think he scored like five points when they played Oregon. Um, I didn't have a chance to watch that game. I'm really curious to see what shut him down, whether they just swarmed him, because he seems to really be the engine of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he if he's still making those kinds of numbers at the end of the season with only one year in school, I, I don't see, like, no offense to these young guards, but considering our need and, and the potential upside of having, you know, someone who can probably shoot over 40% at that position in the NBA, I don't see how you pass on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And it's going to be strange to, I mean, obviously I'm going to get a lot more invested in college basketball. I mean, now that, you know, football is over, kind of the, the lens moves towards college basketball and the NBA. And so, this is when, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thank God. Right. This is the best time for basketball. It's like when it really heats up, trade talks get crazy. You know, it starts to be the push towards the postseason, March madness for college. You get just this insanity of, of springtime. So I haven't been able to kind of, I've been mostly just watching my Syracuse orange. That's basically been it. Um, so you, guys I, just, you guys have been doing pretty good this season, better than expected. Uh, we were expected to be a lot better than we lost. Like the first, like we lost like five of our first eight games or something fell off, but we, uh, we just took down Florida state. They were ranked six and Virginia on Saturday ranked ninth. So two big wins might cement our place in NCAAs, but, uh, did you have a chance to catch that game? I, I was I was watching watching that. Uh, was it yesterday or was it tonight? Which one? The Florida State game when they were playing. I, I'm curious to see how they contained Isaac because he was the other one of the other um, potential draft targets that I looked into, and them losing to to Syracuse. I'm really curious to see if it was the zone defense because you know mm-hmm. I hate y'all zone defense so much. <laughs> well, so- in that get Isaac, I mean Isaac uh, is also a guy who's been climbing the, the boards, and he I saw one big board where the Celtics were three and they took Isaac at three. Um, in that game, he actually crushed it. His issue is foul trouble because hmm. um, he kept yeah you know, he kept plowing through uh, Tyler Lydon who kept setting himself up for charges, and uh, in the NCAA's he got five fouls before you foul out, and he he racked up I think four fouls before the ten minute mark. 
Oh my goodness. So, he was, um, yeah, he was really contributing to court, but foul trouble kept him out of the game for, for the second half. And that's what led Syracuse to really take that big lead was when he was on the bench. So I actually, Isaac's, I, I haven't really, I didn't know he was that high up on the, on the big board because Florida state's not really a team that you think of for contributing players to the draft that often. But no, every every five or so years they seem to, to scrape somebody up who's pretty decent. But yeah, no, you're right. So I haven't, I, I didn't think of him as, as that good a player. I mean, right now he's averaging like close to 13 points a game, and surprisingly for a big man, he's actually pretty consistent at the free throw line, which is something that that I've been happy with, shooting like upwards of 80 percent. And then you know from the field, he's up upwards of 50 percent. So he's uh he's been a pretty impressive player, um, and he's got that great high top haircut yeah. so you know he's, he's got style unfortunately <laughs> though he is very thin frame he's got a very light frame and there's some concerns that he's not going to be able to play up to the four as a true combo uh forward in the nba and i'm starting to get less worried about that um but the brendan ingram comps i think are not entirely unfair he's definitely too skinny for where he's being projected to play and he's going to have some trouble uh when he gets up against some some stronger competition yeah because i don't think he's even fast enough to take the three you know like i, I just don't think that he could handle guarding small forwards in the nba uh, yeah, he's not strong enough to, to handle the fours yeah he's kind of like a weird tweener I, yeah i don't know where you could where you could place him because he's 610 he's slated as a small forward but you know he's just yeah you're right he's he's like a wiry guy so, you know, I mean, if he can if he can get a little under control and stop fouling so much, then he can kind of develop kind of a, like a more of a finesse game. Um, but from the sounds of what you're describing, I didn't get a chance to see that game, but that doesn't exactly sound like he's off to a start in that direction. Yeah, and it, there's, I mean, when you're kind of in charge of an offense, and he was really the only contributor in that game. You know, I mean, when you know you're going at the rack and and they just in the zone, especially when they don't have to even leave the paint. Yeah, you know, they can just set up, and you're going straight at them. It's an easy call for the ref, and it's going the other direction. You got another foul on your, on your stat sheet. So, it was. Um, you could see that he was frustrated, but he was also drained. I mean, he played, I think, the entire first half, all 20 minutes, and then, you know, he was just he was the sole contributor for for the Seminoles' offense. So. Of the Ball and Fultz pairing, um, where are your leanings? I, you know, part of me wants to say Fultz just because I want another Husky on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just think that'd be fun to just keep getting more Huskies on here. Sure, um, why not? Let's go <laughs> it seems to have worked out so well. So, like, it's it's been all right so far. Um, but I mean, I just I can't really argue with both the size and the athleticism of Lonzo Ball. Yeah, he, and just like he's got a kind of swagger that he brings in almost every game that I've seen him play. Um, like Fultz, don't get me wrong, has as much or more skill, but there's just something about Ball that grabs me in the same way that, that when I saw Jalen Brown play, even though he had a horrible spacing on a poorly coached team, something about his game just like clicked in my head like this is going to translate just fine and i get that with um ball and i get that with mark mark um i'm not gonna say i don't get it with fultz 
Um, but it seems to me that like Fultz is, is purely running on skill, um, which is not necessarily bad. Um, I just don't see him using his body, um, so much as I see him using his skill to get past defenders to, to score. And it's not a problem. Um, it's just an unanswered question as to what he's going to do when he's challenged in those areas. Yeah, and I just think Lonzo Ball is just better equipped, not in terms of like skill and ability, but just like he's, you know, he's bigger. I, yep. th- I think he just fits the NBA better than than Fultz does. And so, I mean, I'm leaning in that direction because just I, I think he belongs more in the NBA than, than Fultz does. And it's just hard to argue with that size for me. Yeah, that's the thing that, you know, like, I mean, considering the fact that, you know, UConn has produced plenty of short guards that have done well, um, I, I tend to be... To take offense to the notion, particularly with Isaiah being what he is, that, you know, size is such a big factor, but I mean, he's six foot five, um, and his size, sometimes when you start to get to that size and, and you're playing like a one guard, it becomes kind of a problem. And it doesn't seem to be a problem for him, um, playing a much di- more difficult schedule with UCLA and with a much more difficult um, situation in terms of being far from the only option on his team. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on to kind of the minor storylines from this past week and, and this week. We'll start off with uh, it swiping his first conference player of the month. Yeah, and nominated seven times for player of the week. Uh, got it today um, for the first time on top of the player of the month. Um, only a handful of Boston Celtics have ever gotten that. Um, so we've added another one to the list. Um, it's about time. You know, I kind of thought that maybe they were not giving it to him just to see how for much further they could push him. <laughs> that sounds about right, actually. And I was, I wrote a post about Isaiah, um, about how he's finally being respected for at least the MVP conversation. Well, some straight-up Celtics haters I've heard on some some podcasts that shall remain nameless are including him as a fringe MVP candidate. So, I think it's finally time to at least put him in the conversation. I don't think he'll take it from either Westbrook or Harden, whichever dogs you want to fight. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know who you care about in, in terms of that fight. I think it's going to be one of those two, for sure. If he carries the Celtics to the one seed and gets comfortably you know not by the skin of the teeth at the end of the season i think that it would be a much harder situation like i'm saying if he's the person really behind it not some trade situation that you know catapults us into contention but if we're roughly the same team and we we finish the season with a one seed um and he keeps up a, even even you know 80 percent of what he's been doing this last month i would say he's got a pretty good chance but that's the minimum it would take. Do you think he can get the 50, 40, 90? Um, I think he can. I don't think anyone should hold their breath hoping for it. Um, it's kind of like a no-hitter that we just talked about. So I guess maybe my answer must be no then, huh? Yeah, I guess. All right. Do you think the Celtics can take the one seed from Cleveland? Yes, I do, because I don't think Cleveland really cares about the one seed versus the two seed. Huh. I really don't think so. I really think they're going to try to save their energy, um, and they should, um, because fresh legs are going to be the only thing that's going to get them past 
whatever monster comes out of the West, I'm assuming like most of us, um, probably it's going to be Golden State. But, you know, if it's the Spurs, um, it's going to be a team that's clicking on all cylinders and whoever they're facing that gets to the finals, um, the number one seed is not going to be very important to them winning. And, I mean, the bottom of the East is basically the same. Like, what are you going to see? Like the Pacers, Pistons, who else? Charlotte. Yeah, the the Hornets. Like the, there aren't Maybe really the Bucks. Yeah, like there there's like kind of a grouping of middling teams that are, are sitting at the bottom of the playoffs picture in the East. And so regardless of whether they're the one or the two, you're gonna play a very similar opponent. Um, yes. I don't see that that's gonna be a problem. I really okay. don't. I don't think that we should again expect it. Um, but I don't think it's in any way outrageous to to suggest that it's not not even like remotely possible but very possible it's very possible it may even be planned okay because you have to remember they're going to be resting their best players at the end of the season the last four to six games unless they have already fallen below the celtics or whoever's in second they're almost certainly going to be resting their players at the end of the season so if you wanted to ask me two weeks before the end of the season whether or not the Celtics will have the one seed, I think that will be a much lower probability. I would think that's fairly unlikely as opposed to at the end of the season where I wouldn't say probable, but I, I wouldn't say unlikely either. See, I um, I don't know. I like Cleveland's got a hard schedule for the rest of this, this year. Yep, um, harder than we do. Following the All-Star break, they've got a yeah, tough slate. Uh, of opponents and so i broke it down to i think we have at this point well at the time i broke it down it was six to seven um games with a very good chance of losing when i say very good chance i don't necessarily mean like they're the the underdog but like teams with a very decent chance of being able to beat either of the celtics or the Cavs and the Cavs have a harder schedule you know i mean that's pretty impressive considering they're the Cavs. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, the record that they have. I mean, considering this team, I, like, you look at that roster, and there's so much there. You know, I mean, and they're all, are they the highest-paid team in the Yeah, end? as far as um, last I knew, I mean, it could have changed, um, but I'm almost certain they are the highest payroll in the league. Um, and with Smith being out and the big question mark hanging over his integration, um towards the end of the season being what it is plus Shumpert's just like last I, last I saw I had a single digit PER not that the PER is the end all be all um, but I mean he he's just been awful so far this year and they really don't have anybody else um, in terms of people who can play um, reliable minutes behind LeBron um, when he's at the three um, they have no depth at the two and their the level of competency at point guard is basically Kyrie nothing. I who mean, they, they, gonna, who do you think you're going to pick up? I saw Nate Robinson was trying out. They, they're looking at Darren Williams. They're, who do you think they're going to try and pick up? If, I think Darren Williams would probably be the best bet for them um, for likely people. Um, I don't know if Chalmers, I've heard Chalmers floating around out there. I don't know if that would necessarily be bad in short bursts. Um, Chalmers can be really good as long as he's not winded, but as soon as he's tired, he's basically the worst point guard ever. 
I don't remember um, Mario Chalmers playing basketball. Like, I remember him with the Heat, with LeBron's Heat, but I just don't remember him playing ever since then. Well, he thinks he's Dwayne Wade. That's the problem. Because, <laughs> like, he can play as hard as Dwayne without a lot of the skill for shirt bursts, or he could when he was younger. But, I mean, he's had some injuries. He's he's not really been playing at the level that he would need to be playing to be effective. Um so I think maybe as like a you know an eight to twelve minute a, uh, a game guy he could by the end of the season be effective, um, but Deron Williams seems like a much much better. I mean, granted Dallas is awful, but I I, I wouldn't be putting that on him entirely. Um, he's he's had an okay season from what I've seen so far, so I I, I would be aiming for him. That's fair. Well, I you know I mean I. I'm a big Nate Robinson fan. <laughs> I don't think that would be a smart move at all for the Cavs front office, but I, I like Nate Robinson. So. Oh, I love Nate Robinson. He can get you 30 points or three 16 games in a row. <laughs> um, you just never know what you're getting. Yeah, he's like J.R. Smith in that sense. You just yeah, no Smith. No, that's not fair. J.R. Smith has actually in the last year become a fairly reliable player until he broke his finger. I feel like though J.R. Smith will consistently always give you, like, 20 shots a game. The question is just how many he's actually going to hit. Yeah. Like, he's no, always going to be a volume shooter. We're just always going to take shots. But he was making them this season and last on a very good rate, you know, much higher than in his entire career. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's any truth to it, but some rumblings were the fact that he's made some lifestyle changes that um, had him, let's just say, more awake at games. Um less partying at clubs and Wearing that may be the case, but I mean, with a broken finger, um, you know, he, he'll probably still be athletically in shape when he comes back because you can still lift weights and, and get your cardio in and whatnot. Um, but there's going to be, there's going to be a, a drop off from not having played. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, back to the Celtics. Now that the Super Bowl is over, now football season is over, do you think we're going to see more Patriots at the TD Garden? You got LeGarrette Blunt, who's been stopping by. Uh, Julian Edelman, you see on the Jumbotron from time to time. So I heard some nasty rumors that, that Blunt was um, something of a, a, a big Dallas fan until he came to New England. He's changed his mind. Um. I don't know if it's PR or if he if he's just seen the Patriots light or whatever, but you know, who am I to question? People can change fandom whenever they want to. Um, I personally don't see how you change fandom of a team after supporting it for any particular given amount of time. But you know what? Everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's gotta be tough to be an athlete, you know. Like if you got a favorite team, you get traded. You're like you have to change it. Yeah, you get to yeah. like. Like, it's bad. like, so, like, against the Lakers, right? Because Isaiah's dad's been, like, a lifelong Lakers fan. Yep. And he was there, like, front row while Isaiah was basically just decimating the Lakers. And, like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, your, your son plays, your son's an all-star with the Boston Celtics, like, your favorite team's biggest rival. How do you do, how do you deal with that situation? I mean, going back to our conversation where we're talking about um, where we're at, um, in terms of me being a University of Florida student, while also having grown up in Connecticut, being a rabid University of Connecticut Townie fan, um, I'll root for the Gators. They are one of my teams. They just are not my team with a big G. 
fatigue. Well, they're not rivals with, with the Huskies. Exactly. Uh, except like, for a couple of games. <laughs> if you're, I'm trying to think of who's like a good UConn rival. I mean, Syracuse and, and UConn had some, some Syracuse, rivalry. Syracuse, I will never forget you guys for winning that 6 over 10 oh, game. Was, I stayed up for the whole damn game. <laughs> My, uh, I was driving back from Boston. We left at like 7 when that game started. And we figured we were going to miss that entire game. We're driving from Boston to Syracuse. It's like a five-hour drive. Four-and-a-half-hour drive. And we got home in time to see the last, like, three overtimes. That's ridiculous. That's how long that game went on. And it was at, like, 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. It was awesome. It was such so, a great game. <laughs> as a roundabout answer, um, I understand what it's like to have teams that you follow but aren't your team... You know, and maybe, you know, some of these players, being that they are traded from time to time, signed free agency, whatever, um, change allegiances with, with allegiances in quotation marks. You know, I, perhaps if we asked him what his team was, you know, with the intention of like, what what is your team? In the same way that a lot of us maybe follow some of our college, local colleges, players, and other teams. Like I follow, I follow Rudy Gay, I follow Kemba Walker, and, and all the other UConn players as they move through the NBA. And you know, like if they're not playing the Celtics and the standings aren't going to screw up the Celtics uh, seating, etc., then I'll root for those teams. But I mean, I'm not really a Charlotte Hornets fan. I'm not really a Detroit Pistons fan. So maybe, maybe that's kind of where they're coming from yeah and i'm loving this metamorphosis that Dion waiters has put in where he's been like scorching it and like leading the the heat to like what was it, a nine game winning streak like yeah huh? longest active winning streak right now in the nba are they still winning or did they lose one final? they were i mean i haven't been paying attention the last maybe four or five days but they they were i think yeah nine game winning streak and honestly that is not helping them at all yeah yeah because they were they were bottom three right they were sitting in the very bottom three. Yeah, now they are almost in playoff contention last I checked. Yeah, I think they're uh, – I'm looking at the standings now. They're 14, so they're like three and a half games out. Yep. Two and a half games out behind the Pistons. Not helping. Ten straight. <laughs> on ten straight. On like the shoulders of Dion Waiters. Yep. But And they're about to win uh, their 11th against the Timberwolves. So – now that we've gone off track like six different times in yeah. six different directions, let's uh, jump into the upcoming week. All right. So we have Sacramento. Okay. Sacramento. We talked about it. We got, I mean, they've got a good lineup and they've got, you know, challenges all across their roster because you've got, you know, DeMarcus Cousins at the five who can lock down really anybody. Um, and just Particularly it, reporters. <laughs> yeah, he does that too. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully Abby Chin isn't trying to like swipe an interview with with Demarcus Cousins because I could see her getting taken out. Um, but yeah, so Rudy Gay is gone, torn Achilles, and uh, the Kings are actually kind of on some momentum. They took down the Warriors in overtime. Yep. You know they they could be could be a challenge. It's one of those games where like if you look at just records, the Celtics should win it. But yeah, the Kings are always kind of a wild card. Yeah, I mean, Caspi is going to be out until at least the All-Star break. There were some rumblings that he might come back. Um, Garrett Temple is out, and he, he's got a hamstring injury. And he's been kind of doing double duty as your backup point guard um, slash three. 
um, slash two. And so that doesn't leave them a lot of backcourt depth, though. Then again, half their team is either a four or five. Um, so I guess it's not entirely, you know, injury related. Um, but again, like you noted, they, they, they just beat uh, Golden State. So they really, you know, if we play down to them, then they're going to roast us. I'm trying to think of what their backcourt is. Is it Darren Collison, like Aaron Apollo? Yep. Is that their? Yep. That's their one. That it is. It's a kind of dismal backcourt. Yeah, Collison is not not terrible, but I mean, he is like the poster boy of average starting one on a non-playoff team. Mm-hmm. Competent mm-hmm. enough to be in the league, but he's never going to raise your eyebrow ever. Are you concerned about this game? A little bit. Um, a little bit, just because it, like, Boston may not be, may not give them the respect they deserve with the four-game uh, win streak from last week being what it is, uh, the Patriots hubris being what it is. This is a very, very good scenario for a trap game. Mm-hmm. Well, Celtics have won seven straight now. Uh, I don't think it was their last loss, but their their last losing streak, one of those losses was dealt by the Blazers. Yep. Play on Wednesday, I want to say. I think so. Um, who are not doing so great. Um, real recently, they lost their last two games, but they won six of the last ten. Um, which one of those, I think, was the Celtics game. They're still dealing with Azeli being out. Um... They did just break, uh, speaking of the, the, the Kings, a six game losing streak. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, but it's also a situation where it could end up being one of those things where we play down and get bit. That's a game where I think Avery Bradley's a, a huge key in that. And I think it's teams where they have a one-two punch of a backcourt, I think are the ones where you really need Avery Bradley. And so, you know, when we lost to him, I want to say it was two weeks ago, both Lillard and McCollum combined for like 65 points or something. And they, you know, I mean, Isaiah can only do so much on a guy like Damian Lillard. And, you know, if you do something out, you have like what, Marcus Smart, and you have Jay slide over to defend McCollum. It's like I, I think actually Jalen Brown might be a good matchup for McCollum. I don't know about Lillard. Um, Jalen Brown's been doing some pretty good coverage at the two in spots. Yeah. But I just remember McCollum just like trampled over the Celtics during that last game. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Celtics can, can take him down. This is a, a road game, right? They're playing him in Portland because it's a yeah. West Coast road trip. They're heading out yeah. west. All the games are at 1030. Yep. Um, so, I again, I think the Celtics need to find a way to lock down that backcourt, and that's that's kind of the key. So, I haven't heard a lot about where Avery Bradley is at as far as his progression back from his Achilles. I feel like the Celtics are being extremely cautious with it, but well, I feel like that's like as I said this before, that's the right thing to do. But in terms of the schedule too. Um, I would probably leave Bradley out for these first two games and then save him for the Utah game that's coming after. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so win or loss against Portland? Um, I am actually going to go win-win-loss. I think we're going to lose to Utah. Um, we beat them last time, but Utah has been very good. Um, seven of the last ten, they won, um, including the last two. And this with uh, Rodney Hood out with a knee injury. Um, they beat the Hornets. They beat the Bucks, which, you know, neither of those teams look so good in the standings, but they've both been playing pretty well recently. Um, and the, no big blowout losses, particularly against bad teams. Um, so I think there's a very good chance that we could continue the winning streak for 10 straight. Um, but I think if we're going to lose a game this week, it's going to be to Utah. See, I, I actually, I'm confident as Utah. I think that one of the first two games, I mean, I, I like what the Celtics have been doing, but I, I don't know if they can sustain a 10 game winning streak. Um, and I think that, will fall to one of the, the lower teams. So whether it's the, the Kings or the Blazers, I'm, I kind of feel like we're due for a loss. Agreed. But, Progression to the mean. Yeah, but so when we go up against the Jazz, I feel like we haven't had like a bad game against a really good team. And maybe I'm just kind of, I've been too focused on how well the Celtics have been playing and I've missed those. There was that one Spurs game where they came out on fire and held their own through the first three quarters and then just got blown out. But that's the only thing I can think of. It's not like back in December. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I feel like we always play to the level of our opponent, whether that's bad, whether it's like Lakers level, you know, we, we only win by four or, you know, Clippers level. We still win that game in spite of a late run by, by the Clippers. So, I thought we were going to lose that game, too. Um, I thought Blake was really going to come out hard. And, I mean, he didn't come out weak, but you know, that was that was a surprising game all around. I just think the Celtics, find, they, they they play to their opponent. And, you know, they'll, they'll stick with the team, whoever they're up against. And so I, I'm confident against the Jazz. I think that, you know, Celtics can take them on. And, um, you know, they match up well against them. The only, the only guy who I think really is difficult is is the stifle tower of rudy gobert <laughs> and um, tower, i love that yeah i know it's such a good nickname but so he's the only guy who i think is is the tough opponent or the tough matchup at least against the jazz otherwise you know, especially if bradley does come back for this game yeah gordon hayward you you've got so many defensive options for gordon hayward and uh, i think george hill has really fallen off um, since his time with the Pacers, what, like four years ago? Back when they were like a force to be reckoned with? I mean, he, he came out um, pretty strong to start the season. Um, I haven't been following him recently, though, so I, I really couldn't say. I just, uh, I mean, I like the Jazz. I got a friend who's out in uh, near Salt Lake City, so he's been following them as best he can. He's not a big sports fan, but, you know, he'll text me like, oh, man, like, Gordon Hayward had a good game. It'd be fun if he was on the Celtics. And I'm like, hey, I appreciate that you watch out for my team. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, don't George Hill. George Hill. <laughs> yeah, don't tell Jay that, seriously. George Hill, I mean, I guess he's, he's averaging 17.5. I'm trying to look at his recent games to see how he's been doing lately. But I just, I don't think there's a lot of threats that the Celtics can't match up with. No, there's only a maybe... At this juncture, I think there's only three or four more really tough games. Um, and I think really only the Cavs remain on the schedule um, off the top of my head besides – I think we have one more matchup with the Warriors. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. we have a game with the Warriors, and I think we have 
two matchups with the Cavs left, and I think those are their only really hard games left on the schedule. Yeah, they I got could one, be missing one. Toronto near the end of the month. Cleveland is Toronto's going to be a challenge, but I mean, at this point, I, I know not to get all hubristic, but I mean, they're fighting for the fourth seed, and they're no longer, they don't have the patina of the team we can't beat. So I think a certain degree of that has been frustration over the recent years. Um, and in the season in particular that we just couldn't get past them. And once that aura of invincibility has been brushed off, um, I, I don't necessarily think that I, I don't view them as quite, they're still going to be a tough game. I have them included in, in terms of um, games that we, we have a decent chance of losing, but I don't think that I would consider them one of the really hard games. Mm-hmm. Well, the beginning of March is going to be rough because you have the Cavs and the Warriors over the course yep. of a week. And then it, then it gets a little bit easier. I mean, Chicago, for some reason, Chicago's a tough team for the Celtics, I feel like. I don't know what they're going to look like come March, <laughs> you know? Like what their roster is even going to be, if they're going to sell or if they're going to maintain what they got. Or- I'm pretty sure Rondo is not going to be on there, which is another one of the people I've heard mentioned as a potential Cavs um, backup point guard if he gets bought out. They, they couldn't afford to trade for him um, based on you know how erratic he is compared to how much salary he'll eat up. Yeah. But if he does get bought out or waived, then I, I could actually see that. But anyway, we keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, I keep doing that. Yeah, I blame you. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, well, I'll take it. it. You got it. All right. So, um, I don't know. We've, we've been talking here off with every possible trade scenario. Um, I'll apologize on behalf of both of us and, and you know, the uh, NBA media sphere. We don't like to do this to you guys. It's just what happens, particularly when you have so many assets. So please understand we all want to get to Banner 18, um, and we'd like to do it um, without writing the same article 16 different times. So <laughs> here's to um, the trade deadline stuff being sorted out in just a couple more weeks, 23rd, and mark it on your calendar. And um, do you got anything that you need to uh, plug that you want to mention? Maybe uh, stuff that you're thinking about writing stories about, stuff that you're working on, anything like that? Uh, nothing major right now. I mean, I'm going to focus on kind of Isaiah's terrific January and stuff and, and his player of the week, stuff like that. I'll probably have some fun things like that going on throughout this week, but nothing major otherwise. All right, cool. Um, I'm going to – some of you have been following the countdown to the trade deadline pieces that I've been doing to get – you guys' opinions on these rumors that have been floating around give you guys kind of a voice in terms of whether or not you think these trade rumors are complete trash, um, something you'd like to hear. Um, there'll probably be a couple more of those left, but you know, I'm trying to do at least one a week each week. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to have something to do this week, but you know, it hasn't stopped us yet in terms of the rumor mill being what it is. But after the 23rd passes, I'm going to change gears and – um, we might even do a, a short segment each week on, on this show to mirror what we're, we're talking about on the site in terms of evaluating at least one player per week in the range of where the Celtics might be selecting. I'll probably rush through the second round stuff and spend more time on the first round stuff since that's what we're all more interested in anyway. You'll probably hear some more Celtics life um, authors and myself covering some of the potential trade rumors floating around out there if they pop up. Um, but Hopefully we'll be laying that to bed soon and yeah, 
Beyond that, um, the usual promo stuff that I, I want to make sure you guys are aware of. You can get tickets through the Celtics Life website. You can also get merchandise, hoodies, T-shirts, any kind of Boston stuff that you won't find anywhere else. Um, you can find them under the headings. It's pretty easy to see at the top of the, the website. And um, you can find this podcast um, however you found it, obviously. But if you didn't find it and on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, and MixCloud, sure, uh, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. And if you don't like something, give us a chance to fix it. Let us know what you'd like to hear change or how you'd like to hear a change. Uh, we're here to bring you the Celtics coverage you want the way you like it. Sounds good. All right. Take care, y'all.